high school students. Hope you all have a good first week back to school. <clears throat> well, today we're going to continue in our sermon series that we call By Faith, talking about some of these heroes of the faith from Hebrews chapter 11. And today the character whose life we're going to dive into is Joseph. So go ahead and shout it out, but I want to ask you, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the name Joseph from the Bible? Anyone? Te that's exactly what I was hoping you would say, the Technicolor Dreamcoat. I think we got the picture up here behind us. I've not seen the musical myself, but I think this is a little bit of a uh, misinterpretation of the story because you may know the brothers surrounding Joseph probably would not be smiling that way um, due to the fact that, does anyone know why Joseph was given this beautiful rainbow-colored coat? He was the favorite son. So definitely your brothers are not going to be surrounding you with joy if you are the favorite son. I feel like today it'd be kind of like a parent giving one of their children a t-shirt that says, favorite child right? It just doesn't happen. Can we acknowledge how dysfunctional the Bible can be sometimes? There, this is a book full of imperfect people who've made major mistakes that caused lots of problems. And we see, particularly in the story of Joseph, it really was this situation of being favored by his father that set him up to be hated by his brothers, and then the rest of his very challenging story in his life. If I wanted to give you a little challenge, I encourage you this week to find some time and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37 through 50 and sit down and reread the story of Joseph. It is really fascinating. Sometimes we think the Bible is hard to get through. It's a, just a really fascinating narrative and really one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. The life of Joseph and how he lived and the things he lived through and the lessons he learned along the way, I promise it will encourage you if you take the challenge. But as I was rereading it for myself this past week, I was trying to think of a phrase that would kind of boil down the theme of Joseph's life and faith. And the phrase I came, with, came up with is forward-looking faith. Joseph, at every juncture in his life, when he had the opportunity of perhaps feeling stuck in the present, wallowing in his own pain, instead he chose to look forward to what God was able to do in the future. And so as you think about your life in faith, would you like to have a forward-looking faith? A faith that's able to trust God for what's next, even when you can't fathom your circumstances changing? Would you like to have the kind of faith that sees possibilities rather than obstacles? A faith that inspires you to cling to hope, even when you're hit with wave after wave. This is the kind of faith we see in Joseph's life. So with this in mind, let's turn to Hebrews 11, where we kind of hear where Joseph is mentioned in this roll call of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 23 says this, By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. This is the word of the Lord. Does it surprise you that that's all that is mentioned about Joseph's crazy, tumultuous life? Of all the things that could be called out about his faith, he is commended for speaking about the exodus and giving instructions about the burial of his bones? Anyone else find that a little odd like I, I did? 
Well, so what is going on here? Well, let's dive a little bit deeper so we can figure out why this is what is lifted up in terms of all the things that have happened in his life and his faith. We got to look back to last week, our character that we spoke about, which was Marchant and Joe preached on Abraham and his life, and they had a great summary that we want to have the kind of faith they did that was a yes and faith instead of a yes but faith. But what particularly the part of Abraham's life that's relevant to Joseph's story is that God made a covenant with Abraham. He made him a promise that included four elements. I think we got a slide up there. The first was that they'd be given land, this promised land that God promised to give them. Second is that they, he would have descendants as numerous as it said the stars in the sky and the sand and the sand. The third is the blessing, that God's blessing would be on him and all of his descendants. And then fourth and finally, that that blessing would be given so that through them, all the nations around them would be blessed. So Joseph is now the fourth generation of people to have received this promise. It first went to Abraham, it was passed along to Isaac, it was then passed along to Jacob, and now Jacob has passed along this faith to his son Joseph. And what is so interesting is that in the end, really what Joseph is saying to his children is, I want to pass this faith, the faith in this promise, on to you, to my children, and to the future generations, that this promise, God has not forgotten us, that even though we are in the land of Egypt, which you will come to see is this land where then the Israelites ended up being enslaved and stayed there for much longer than they wanted, that God was going to bring them back to that land. But this was not the end of the story. And he was so confident in it that he gave instructions, I want you to carry my bones with you when God takes you back. It really is a forward-looking, beautiful promise when you dig into what is happening in this moment. Well, so how did Joseph get there? How did he get to that point where at the end of his life, even when he's in this foreign land, that he was so confident that God would fulfill the promise? We're going to dive a little bit into some of the story of Joseph. Again, I can't do it justice, so read for it yourself. But we're going to look at some of the highlights in his story that shows how he gleaned this kind of faith in his life. Well, starting back at the beginning, Joseph is given this special coat and has, assumes his status as favorite child. Well, Joseph, he's either a bit naive or maybe a bit of a brat, maybe a combination of the both. But he had a dream where he dreamed that all of his brothers were bowing down to him. So what does he do? He goes out and tells his brothers, I had this great dream and you were all bowing down to me. So what do they do? They're not very excited about this dream and they dig a pit and throw him into it with the plan to kill him. Well, one of the brothers has mercy on him and says, hey, hey, let's, let's not kill him. Let's just like leave him in the pit. You know, that'd be a little bit better. So when then that brother goes off, a caravan comes by where there's um, some slave traders and they decide to sell their brother into slavery. And off Joseph goes to Egypt. Well, as Joseph arrives in Egypt, we see that the first thing that shapes his forward-looking faith is his belief that God was still with him. That God had not abandoned him, even though all of this had happened. Genesis says that his master Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him. Isn't that interesting? That there was something noticeable about the way Joseph lived that other people could tell that the Lord was with him. And he ended up finding favor in the eyes of his master and was put in charge of the entire household. He'd been taken from his land, from his, land, from his family, he's in this foreign place, but he never gave up 
on the belief that the Lord was with him, and he continued to stay faithful to the Lord. It actually shaped how he lived with a great sense of integrity. And I don't know about you, but this belief that God is with us, it is one of the most powerful truths we can ever believe if we truly internalize it and allow it to sink into our bones. This is what will propel us forward in the Egypts of our own lives as well. I don't know what it, where it is for you, what that Egypt place is, but Egypt is really any place that you didn't ask for and you don't want to be. Maybe it's a life circumstance, grief, a difficult diagnosis, a divorce, an addiction, depression, loneliness. Maybe it's just a feeling that no one understands what you are going through. Egypt can be a season in life where you just feel stuck. It can be a problem with a, a child or a strained relationship, a situation that you just feel powerless to change. And Joseph's story reminds us that God is present in the Egypts of our lives. In fact, sometimes it feels even more present with us in those moments than in those kind of promised land when life is going smoothly moments of our lives. God has been and will promise us to always be by our side. Well, Joseph's belief in God being with him, it allowed him to stay faithful in a crucial moment that you may know. It was funny, my son asked me what I was preaching on. I knew he was going to be down in the student ministry, so I started telling him a little bit. I go, you remember Joseph? Of course, he remembers the colorful coat. I go, well, there's probably a part of the story they didn't tell you in Sunday school because it's a little bit racy, which is the next part we're getting into. He goes, yeah, they definitely did not tell us that in Sunday school. But what happens next is that Potiphar, the master's wife, basically makes a move on Joseph and tries to seduce him, to which Joseph um, refuses. And it's the scripture says day after day, she pursues him, and he ends up saying this to her. With me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is a greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And even though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So how then is Joseph rewarded for this bold act of integrity, staying faithful to the Lord? Well, Potiphar's vindictive wife then falsely accuses him of rape, and he is sent to prison. I mean, Joseph, he can't get a break, can he, the poor guy? Well, maybe for you, you can't relate to being sent to prison, but my guess is some of us can relate to that feeling of doing the right thing and then feeling like it backfired on you, or trying to stay faithful to the Lord and then having something really challenging happen in your life, and you're like, what is going on here, Lord? Didn't, aren't you supposed to reward me for being faithful? Maybe something like you've really prayed about a decision. Really, we're like, oh, what am I supposed to do? And then it just everything turned out terribly. Or you tried to handle a situation, a conflict with someone in a kind way, and they ended up responding with anger or just being super passive aggressive. Maybe in a job, you worked really hard to get a promotion, and then a colleague who doesn't do, you don't feel like puts the effort in, is the one who gets the reward. Sometimes we have these moments in life where we say, Lord, I, I tried to trust you. I tried to do the right thing. Why is it not turning out the way I hoped it would turn out? 
Well, we don't get to see Joseph's internal monologue. Maybe he had some of these honest conversations with the Lord. But what we do see is that he, he always believed God was with him. And the second thing that shaped his faith is that he believed that God was able. That at each juncture when things went the wrong way, he believed God had the ability to do something about his situation. And so while he's in prison, Joseph is, meets a couple of guys there that had been, one was a cupbearer and one was a baker. And one day they come to him and they say, we've had some dreams. Can you help interpret them? And what Joseph says immediately, how he replies to this, is, we don't know that he has any um, experience in interpreting dreams, but he says, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. I don't know about you, but that would certainly not be the way that I would respond if somebody came to me with a, what seems to be an impossible situation. But he immediately takes the attitude that sees that God is able to do something rather than the challenge he has a God-can-do-this sort of mindset. Now, I'm not suggesting that we run out and you know, volunteer to interpret other people's dreams or that at every obstacle you face, that means we just need to have a big smile on our face and say, I'm trusting you, Lord, through this. Faith is definitely something that we wrestle with. Faith is something that it is sometimes hard to come by. And just because we don't always have an immediate positive response does not mean we're not being faithful. But what I am suggesting is that in those moments when we're tempted to doubt, to, to not give up on the power of our God, who is able to do something no matter what we face. And sometimes believing that God is able, it starts with recognizing the opposite, that we simply don't have what it takes to, do, to face this challenge alone. Sometimes it's a, a recognition of our own inadequacy that helps us then recognize God's ability. An author named Lisa Turker, she wrote a book called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. It, it, she wrote it as her marriage was unraveling and as she faced a breast cancer diagnosis. She's refreshingly honest about how difficult the season was for her. And she said that one of the things that actually made it worse was when well-intentioned people said unhelpful things like, you know, God doesn't give you more than you can handle, right? Let me just say right there, one, that's not biblical, and two, don't ever say that to anyone who's going through a hard time. It is a really unhelpful thing to say. The Bible does say in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God will not tempt us beyond what we can bear, and when we are faced with temptation, he will provide a way out so that we can stand up under it. But that is not the same thing as God will not give you more than you can handle. In fact, my guess is a few people here, maybe you felt at some point that God has given you more than you can handle. And the point is, sometimes we are, because we're not intended to handle it all. God wants us to hand it over to him. And this is what Lisa Turker says. I love her own words. She says, God doesn't expect us to handle it. He wants us to hand it over to him. He doesn't want us to rally our own strength. He wants us to rely solely on his strength. In a perspective that sees God is able, it doesn't crumble when we feel weak or inadequate to face what's before us. Instead, we simply acknowledge that we are inadequate, that we are weak, that we need the Lord. God wired us this way because he wants to carry the heavy stuff for us. He doesn't want us to carry those burdens alone. He did that for Joseph, 
And he's something you might need to hear that he's able to do that for you today, too. Well, third and finally, the phrase that shaped Joseph's forward-looking faith were two simple words that helped him reframe his difficult story in light of God's goodness. And the two words are this, but God. I'll explain in a few moments where this comes from in Scripture. This phrase comes towards the end of Joseph's narrative in Genesis 50. But to quickly recap what happens in between where we just left off, Joseph's in prison, he interprets the dream correctly, the cupbearer gets out of prison and goes back to work for the Pharaoh. And Joseph says to him, hey, when you get out, remember me. Tell the Pharaoh how God enabled me to interpret the dream and maybe he'll let me out of prison. The cupbearer then completely forgets him and Joseph spends another two years in prison. However, two years later, Pharaoh has a dream and he says, hey, I had this dream, I need someone to interpret it. And the cupbearer goes, oh wait, I remember, I know a guy, he's down in prison and he can interpret your dream. So Joseph is called out of prison, called before the Pharaoh, and basically interprets a dream that means there's going to be seven years of plenty in the land of Egypt, followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph says, God has given you the stream so you can prepare. You need to store up food in the seven years of plenty so that we'll have enough in the seven years of famine. Well, Pharaoh is so um, overjoyed by Joseph's interpretation, he puts Joseph in charge of the project. He's going, you're going to be second in command. You're going to help me do this. So Joseph now rises to this place of leadership over all of Egypt, and sure enough, the seven years of famine come. People start coming from surrounding nations to then get food while they're starving in their own lands. And the next thing that happens is that Joseph's brothers are part of the entourage that come to Egypt for food. And while Joseph has this opportunity where he could have gotten even, he is second in command in all of Egypt. He could have had his brothers punished. He could have had them killed. He could have done whatever he wanted. But instead, he has this but God moment. I think we have the verse up there from Genesis 50, 20, where he says this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. His brothers did intend to harm him, but God had a plan to bring about good, to save the lives of many nations, and to bring about healing and reconciliation even back in his own family. Now let me be clear. God is never the author of evil. That is not what is being said here. That would be inconsistent with God's character. And why God allows terrible things to happen in our world is a theological question that we could probably sit here for the rest of the day and discuss, and people still might go home with some questions. But this is the truth that Joseph learned. But God is always able to bring about good, even out of some of the darkest situations that we will ever face. That's what we call redemption, to be rescued from darkness into the light. And Joseph chose what we call a redemptive perspective on his suffering. While he could have stayed bitter, and he certainly had the power to pay his brothers back for what they'd done, instead he chose to see how God had brought good out of the harm that they had intended, and how he had now been put in this position to save the lives of people in Egypt and all of the surrounding nations from starvation. A forward-looking faith in our lives it chooses to stop and ask, where am I seeing the goodness of God in the midst of my story? Juliana Cagle did that last week on her Caring Bridge. If some of you read that before she went into surgery, 
She had some prayer requests, but she also had a list of all the ways that she has seen glimpses of the goodness of God throughout this difficult journey already. We've seen the Sturtz family do that, the Bastio family do that, as they've gone through unimaginable things with their sweet boys and their cancer journey as well. And even the song that we sang this morning, it said, even what the enemy means for evil, you'll turn it for our good. And that's what faith is. It's this belief, Lord, that you're able, whatever we are facing, to turn things for our good, that you are sprinkling in moments of your goodness and your grace in the midst of the hard parts of our stories. So where can you begin to do that in your story? Maybe it's looking for the small answers to prayer when you're asking for a big one. Maybe it's looking for the glimpses of kindness from a friend in the midst of something hard that you're going through. Maybe it's looking for the moments of beauty and blessing and joy, even on the hard days. Maybe it's the ways that God might want to even use you to bless somebody around you. One of the most powerful ways that God redeems our pain sometimes is when we begin to see how our own story intersects with someone else's story. This often helps us begin to see this but God perspective. Have you ever had that happen in your life? Where you've gone through something that you would have never asked for, but somehow it's that part of your story that enables you to intersect with somebody else's life. And you have a moment of connection, a moment of understanding, maybe it, 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 some empathy in your life that you just, you get what they are going through. For me, this is one of the most powerful ways I have seen God redeem parts of my own story. Um, some of you who have uh, been around for a long time know, but newer people may not know, I lost both of my parents to brain cancer. My mom when she was 53 and my dad when he was 66. And what I've found now as I've gone along, as some of my friends have lost a parent, they often want to call me, not because I have any great answers, but simply because I get it. I get what they've, been, they've gone through. And there's something for them that I feel is comforting for them, but there's also a moment where it brings about comfort from your own pain, where you're able to see how you're, you can enter into someone else's because you know what that feels like. I think of Felix Laura, who's the executive director of the Sandy Springs Mission, who was here a few weeks ago. He talks about how he came to the United States, immigrated from the Dominican Republic, and how difficult it was to go through college with English as a second language and navigating the educational system. And that has given him a unique heart for students here in Sandy Springs who English is not their native language and how he has now joined this organization to help them achieve educational success. It can be big things, it can be small things, but what are parts of your story that God might want to use to build empathy in your life for what other people are going through? I truly believe that empathy for others is one of the most beautiful things that God brings out of our stories. And sometimes in, it's in the middle of the story where you can't quite see it. You're like, I don't know, God, how you're going to use what I'm going through. But what you may find is that God might begin to be growing your heart to care for what other people are going through. Joseph literally saved lives in Egypt, but God might have placed you where you are for the purpose of touching other lives around you, about caring for people in some other way. What parts of your story intersect with other people's stories. Well, when other people might have crumbled or turned inward, Joseph's faith caused him to look forward, to look forward to what God would do next, to look around to see um, how God had wanted to use him right where he was. 
and God wants to do the same for us. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for Joseph's faith that reminds us, Lord, that you are always with us, that you're able, and that you are working for our good, even in those moments where we cannot see it. And so, Lord, I just want to pray for anyone today who maybe just feels they're right in the middle of that part of their story, Lord, where they can't see it yet. They don't see the good. And, Lord, maybe, frankly, they feel a little forgotten, Lord. It's hard when we're there. And I pray that even that mustard seed of faith that we can cling to that reminds us of your goodness, Lord, that you would help us to hold on to that, that you would grow it, and that you would help us to look forward, to see where you desire to show us a glimpse of your presence and your love. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.